Hey everyone, good afternoon, good morning, depending on where you are joining me from. I'm just pulling up the last minute uh, details here on the event on my own screen. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you. Welcome to my home kitchen on the ragged, jagged, delicious coast of Maine, where I'm joining you from today. My name is Barton Siever. I'm a chef, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Well, let's see. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a chef, I'm an author. Let's put those things in order of how they matter, right? And uh, yeah. Life is good. Life is good in Maine, except for the fact that, well, I'm thinking about starting up a fire in the fireplace today uh, because it's still cold. My tomatoes are like six inches off the ground. My garlic. Whoa. Those of you who have joined me before know I'm a garlic farmer here on my little acre of, of Eden uh, on the coast of Maine here. But uh, my garlic is doing very well this year. Anyway, hey, let's talk about picnics today. Any questions you got, though, let's talk about it. So I am a, uh, a, a long history in sustainability, in restaurants, in writing books, et cetera, all over the place, doing a whole lot of things. So any questions you've got, if I am the best person to answer, well, if I'm the best person here today to answer them, we will get that answered for you. If not, we'll uh, pass your question along to someone else at the Ruby team who is better qualified to answer for you. So today we've got a picnic, right? I mean, hey, it's summer months. We're trying to get outside on those non-rainy days that we haven't had too many of here in Maine. But uh, hey, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining, really. We're through the drought that we've had for many years now. So I, I am very happy about this in all. But uh, yeah, picnic. Today is just not a picnic day. I was hoping it would be because also... Today is my beloved, delightful, brave, incredible wife's birthday. And uh, we were just going to go out on a picnic and then just go shopping together or do something. But um, yeah, we're going to be doing that on Friday. So any of you who joined me before know that I like to start off these little episodes with moments of gratitude because, well, cooking is an act of love. It is an act of kindness. It is a blessing that we are able to spend our time to nourish, to feed others, right? To welcome them to our table. So the very best and first ingredient in any recipe to me is gratitude for that which we are so fortunate to have. So today I'm grateful for my delightful, incredible, brave, wonderful wife. And uh, yeah, I hope that you will take a moment, uh, whether you just in front of you on the cutting board before you start cooking tonight or tomorrow, whenever, or just a moment whenever to say just to give thanks for something in our lives. That's good. I already see so many of my friends uh, have already joined here. So it's nice to see so many uh, friendly faces as well as to see so many new faces. So to those of you who have just joined the Ruby family or have I've not had the pleasure to be with yet, uh, welcome to the Ruby family. It's really great to have you. I'm really thrilled that you're on such a great journey and uh, that you've chosen to do that with us, whether you're here to improve health outcomes, whether you're here to just be entertained and to get more out of life because food is delicious and well, First we eat and then we do everything else um, in, in life. Whatever it is that brought you to us, we're happy to have you. Okay, so let's dive into picnics here. I don't really have a whole lot of like sort of, you know, focus talk about this because picnics are basically a meal that's outside. So we can talk about some of the sort of tips, tricks, techniques to making the most of that. But I also want to be taking a lot of those questions, which I see you already put in a bunch. So I'm just going to start off with a couple of questions and then we're gonna dive into some things. So, hello, I'm vegan from Alexandra T. Hello, friend, and your daughter is too. Can you help me figure out some meals to bring to a picnic, please? Thank you. Monica and Alexandra, so sorry I got the name wrong there. Welcome, welcome. So yes, we'll dive into a bunch of those as I get into, I've got some uh, baba ganoush that I'm gonna prep for you, as well as I've got a roasted pepper dish that I'm gonna do for you. Uh, I've got a watermelon cutting technique little video for you. So I do have a couple of things and we'll talk about those later on. So great questions. Those will be coming up from Sheila D. What does your ideal picnic look like and your favorite items? How do you balance variety without being wasteful or excessive? These are really great questions and really nice to sort of lead into uh, what we're going to be talking about. So to me, uh, you sort of touched on one of the aspects of what I think a picnic is really good, uh, what a great picnic is, which is diverse. There's a couple of different flavors there uh, that really get our palate excited. Let's take a step back and just talk about the purpose of a picnic first and foremost. Meals can be harried, 
right? Everybody's been through a Tuesday night. Oh my God, I just got to get it done on, you know, ballet practice, whatever, games, school, homework, etc. We've all been there, right? The purpose of a picnic is to be the exact opposite of that. It is to specifically get ourselves out of our environment and put ourselves in a new environment that requires us to, to slow down, to sort of think anew about what it is that we're doing, who we're doing it with, why we're doing it, etc. That part of a good picnic is right, having a blanket to sit on so your butt doesn't get wet in the grass, right? I mean, some of this is literally creating a new ecosystem for yourself or finding your place in a new ecosystem. So dive into that, lean into that aspect of a picnic. Don't think of that as, as, as this sort of woeful barrier, right? Because ultimately that is the purpose of a picnic. So lean into it, you know, find the right place to do it. Think about in that place, what, what are the smells going to be like? Are, is there wild herbs around that you can put into your salad? Uh, you know, sunny day, are you taking a tent? These things matter because the other thing that about picnic is you, to me, you, you want to linger, right? And a picnic is, is we're, we're talking different than just leaving the office at lunch and grabbing a sandwich and eating it in the park while, you know, doom scrolling through your phone before you go back to work. That, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a meal that is thoughtful, that is intentional, that gets us outside. So that first and foremost is what I'm looking for from a picnic. Uh, so uh, to the question at hand, which seems to have disappeared. Oh, no, there it is from Sheila D. Uh, what does an ideal picnic look like? There you go. Favorite items for a picnic to me, uh, mostly vegetables. I am a seafood person. I am an omnivore. I eat all things if they're coming from the right sources to me. So I understand we have a lot a big vegan uh, constituency that's joining us here. And I will speak to that. Uh, but I like fresh foods. You know, in the summertime, we're that's what we want, right? And that's what we're talking about picnics. Uh, I'm just going to sort of stick in the summer mode here. So we want foods that are going to make us feel good. We want light, airy, you know, delicious foods. We also want foods, I think, that are going to last for a couple of hours. I don't want to sit on a picnic and be like, okay, what are we doing now? We are eating. Thank you. I have eaten. Let's commence with the rest of, you know, like, no, 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 you're lounging around, open a bottle of rosé, you know, just chill, right? It's the whole point. So to me, a great picnic has a diversity of things. So a baba ganoush. And the way I think about this is what is my organizing principle? To me, it's going to be for today. It's, it's crostini. I really, I, I love crostini. I think they're just perfect food all the way around. I just love them. They work with baba. They work with a goat cheese mixed with mayonnaise on top of which I'm going to put some smoked salmon and mint. Uh, I've got some roasted peppers that we're going to peel today and chop up with some capers and Calabrian chili and olive oil and more mint. I've got a salad over there in things that you crumble a couple of crostini on top of and all of a sudden. So all of the other foods have to work around that, right? So think about this, a delivery vehicle. To me, well, if that organizing principle is a bowl, great. Then all of the dishes get served into a bowl eaten with ostensibly a, a fork or a spoon, right? And can be served one after another in that same bowl, right? Because you don't want to bring a whole lot of things. So, okay, there you go is your, or, you know, and, and with a bowl, okay, you've got a nice gazpacho soup. And then you've got a salad and the salad sort of helps to mop up the, the rest of the gazpacho there, right? And then you have a barley and farro and smoked paprika vinaigrette uh, salad with pistachios and strawberries in it or something, right? That goes into the bowl. You see what I'm getting at is, is the idea of sort of this organizing principle being a vessel is one way that I think about it because that's sort of the heavy stuff that you got to bring in and you got to bring out, right? So to me, a really great vessel and organizing principle is the crostini. I love it. So what do I have with the crostini? I've got baba ganoush. We've got some smoked salmon with a goat cheese uh, and mayonnaise mixture that goes on top. And then on top of that, some 
fresh mint that just brings the whole thing to life. I've got some roasted red peppers that we've got some capers I'm going to chop into. I'm going to use some smoked anchovies, but keep it vegan and just do some uh, collaborating chili paste with a little bit more mint, some lemon juice and some olive oil. There you go. So to me, that, uh, that question of sort of what are my, what's my ideal picnic, uh, that's it in terms of organize it around something like this and build it in a way that you can kind of course it out, not to make it a formal meal, but just to linger, right? And then the idea that you've got this tub of baba, you've got the mayonnaise, you've got the roasted red peppers, and it's just kind of this dip and eat thing. A, a tub of hummus, great. Yeah, there's nothing fancy about that, but it's absolutely delicious when you take it into this new environment. You take some cherry tomatoes, cut them in half, put them in a quart container or whatever, throw in some olive oil, some salt, and microplane one thing, one clove of garlic into that. Put the top on, shake it up. There you go. You've got this beautiful, fresh, delicious, delightful salsa that's full of acidity, but also richness, that garlic just punctuating with that sort of deeper note uh, that we love that keeps us coming back for more, maybe a couple cracks of fresh cracked pepper to add just a little spice in there. Again, there you go. You really haven't done a whole lot of prep work other than kind of throwing something in, in, in an oven, you know, using a knife a little bit, pack it all up and getting to the idea of wasteful or not or excessive if you plan it out for several hours, most of that food's going to get eaten. Also, there's not a whole lot in this food that's necessarily going to go bad to the point where, like, in my family, I can't, I can't tell you what to do or give you advice on this. But if I packed up some baba ganoush that I took out of the fridge and some roasted red peppers with Calabrian chili and capers and took it out into the world and had a picnic and kept it in a cooler for... Uh, you know, two, three hours. And then I brought it home and I put it in the fridge. Would I eat it again tomorrow? Yes. Yes, I would. I would feed it to my family. And with that leftover baba ganoush, great. Maybe mix it with any of the leftover tomatoes that I was just telling you about. Those cherry tomatoes, the garlic and olive oil and pepper, right? Well, that makes a really nice sauce for a piece of roasted salmon or uh, toss that in, you know, add some spike with uh, some vinegar and make it into a nice chunky vinaigrette for a bread and barley or bread and bean salad with toasted pistachios in there, right? There's ways to use up these things, again, even in smaller quantities. So that is uh, my very long and interrupted answer to Sheila D there. So uh, yeah, I kind of got into a lot of my picnic principles with that answer. So thanks for that. And uh, to Monica Alexandra, to your question about vegan items there. I know I mentioned uh, goat cheese, I mentioned salmon, I mentioned anchovies. All of those be pulled straight out um, with with nothing. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, you've, you've got this great vegan meal. You've got a delicious uh, and diverse set of ingredients that is going to keep the palate interested, but it's also going to satiate and, and hold you fast in terms of that. Uh, one other uh, item that I wanted to point out that I have is salads. So <clears throat> you don't need to pack a bowl for a salad, like a salad bowl with salad tongs, et cetera, et cetera. Salad comes in these wasteful but recyclable plastic containers now. Great, you know what this doubles as? A salad bowl, right? Take the top off, put the sauce in. There you go, you have a perfectly tossed salad that you then just put into your bowls. This gets recycled at the park entrance or wherever you can find it to be. And the only things that you've had to bring in for that is the container for the salad dressing, but even that can be just in a plastic bag, et cetera. So sort of the waste in, waste out isn't too high but you're able to dress your salad at the point of service so that you end up with that great, all that great texture and freshness to it. And again, you're sort of able to course the picnic out a little bit so that everything is spread out for everybody. So you don't have to keep doing the work as the host, hostess, uh, you know, whatever. 
but rather it's this sort of slow leisurely meal that people can pace in their own way and then dressing up the salad how long how long did that take yeah there you go all right from jen s if i had to create one no fuss dish that would satisfy satisfy most all people allergies preferences etc without skimping on flavor what would that be oh boy um hmm that's just one really that's it all right uh so i said that i am an omnivore uh as as so many of us are so my one go-to dish is a salmon dish that involves cherry tomatoes lots of garlic olive oil uh, salt and well that's it so season your piece of salmon get a nice cast iron pan rip roaring hot i've got a uh, i've got a nice one that i use for, uh, specifically for this dish because i make it so often it's this nice 14 inch, nice hard staub pan. And I get it rip roaring hot on the stove. I pour in a good glug of olive oil in there. And then I throw in some very, uh, a lot of chopped garlic. I throw in a whole pint, maybe even a little bit more of cherry tomatoes. And I blister them on the stovetop in that oil just until those skins begin to burst just a little bit. And then take a piece of salmon, put it right on top and I take the whole thing and I put it in my trusty toaster oven. Any of you who have joined me before know that I am a big fan of toaster oven. This is the appliance that I use the most in my house, despite having this gorgeous stove and I have a sous vide oven back here and yeah, life is really good. And I use the $110 toaster oven more than anything else. Why? Well, because it heats up very fast. Uh, it's very controlled. It's a small environment. So you're not trying, you're not going to end up with a whole lot of heat zones or variation in it. Uh, it's pretty energy efficient because you're only heating up a small space. I can see it. It's just easy. I mean, all in, it's very convenient. Is it the most sexy thing in my kitchen? No. Does it work? Does the food come out great? There you go. So about 10 minutes later, you put it in under the broiler. And about 10 minutes later, you've got this crispy salmon from on top. It's perfectly cooked uh, from the steam and the moisture from below and sort of protects that moisture within the salmon. That olive oil and the tomato juice has, well, it's gotten all sorts of friendly and sort of reduced down into this nice emulsion. That garlic is cooked fully, taking on almost that sort of rustic scent of roasted garlic. And so you have salmon, you have this perfectly cooked piece of fish, you have this perfectly wonderful sauce served in the dish that it was cooked in it's kind of the fajita effect when you bring it to the table because it just looks awesome and it's sizzling and it's you know it's not quite dramatic but it certainly gets people's attention and whets their appetite and certainly sets the expectation that delicious has been delivered so that is my one go-to dish i serve that alongside some some rice whatever um, and they have pretty much full meal with the salad on the side that is my one go-to i don't know if that hits all of the boxes for all of the people on this uh event today i know it doesn't uh for our vegan friends that are joining us but that sauce certainly does uh, and is absolutely delicious served over a rice pilaf a multi-grain uh, pilaf throw in some beans to it which uh, the starch of the beans helps to uh, emulsify the tomato juice and the um the olive oil there so it's a nice sort of rice and beans with a mediterranean flair to it if you will throw in some cilantro some mint some parsley chopped up nice little tuft of that on top so it acts sort of as a salad and slightly wilts into the dish as you eat it <laughs> yep this is good eating it's good eating i would serve that to anyone all right, from Jen S. Oh, that was the question I just asked, answered. So thank you for that great one. From Chris E. Hi, friend. Nice to see you. I hope that you and your family and all are well in your world and that you are out and about exploring as you often are. What would you suggest a pair with time for friends at a local winery? In the past, I brought tomato galette and lemon bars on shortbread crust. Hmm. Uh, those are both great options. I, I love the tomato galette, and that's something that can be made the day before and brought in a nice little short crust, uh, butter, olive oil, um, 
some smoked paprika in there, a little bit of cumin maybe into the crust to give it sort of that je ne sais quoi kind of thing. Like, what is that? It's not a cumin crust, but just a, a little hint, especially at, at a winery where wines, of course, uh, sort of pick up and pair well to those little somewhat surprises that you get. You don't want to overwhelm them ever, but just offering them sort of points to which the wine can offer a counterpoint uh, is a really great way to just make the experience well more interesting really and don't worry about getting the pairing like dead on perfect right i just if there's little points of interest if, is the tomato galette really delicious awesome is the wine really delicious great you're probably going to have a really good time right even if the even if those two don't become best friends it's still a great lunch so with that, uh, the dishes that I've suggested, uh, I think I really like as well, specifically for that winery idea. You got a lot of those Mediterranean flavors, fresh herbs, mint. Mint and wine uh, is really wonderful combination. If not because the wine and the mint are a perfect pairing for each other necessarily, so much as the, the mint is like lemon juice and salt to me in that it basically takes the flavors of whatever you're serving and just makes them a little more proud uh offers them some amplification uh, and a little bit of grandeur if you will certainly it adds mint flavor to things but it also just elevates and it adds this elegance and also this element of surprise in a way to say huh I never thought about using mint in anything but iced tea or is that like plush non-edible on top of my dessert, right? That just sits there. And the first thing I do is say, oh, mint, right? No, put the mint in the dish. It's delicious. And any of you who have ever grown mint in your yard know that the only way to control mint is to eat it voraciously. So there you go. Put it in everything. That will offer a nice little, uh, point of contention or even point of attention for that wine to spark off. And guess what? When the people in the tasting room are like, oh, hey, what do you got served with your stuff? And you tell them, oh, I've got this baba ganoush with some mint on top or roasted red peppers with smoked anchovies, mint, and a little bit of Calabrian chili. And you're like, wow, Chris, you are so interesting. Where did you get all these great ideas? What are you going to tell them? Oh, I made it all up because I'm awesome because I'm Chris E and I know my stuff. That's what you should tell them because you do and you're awesome. So nice to see you and thanks for that great question. From Star P. Oh, all my, all my dear friends are showing up today. It's great. I like to bring fresh foods and enjoy creating fresh spring rolls outside. I've never made them ahead of time, not wanting them to get rubbery. Do I have a trick? Hmm. Well, in advance of this, I started, we read that question and my colleague, Katie, my business partner, uh, who's also my eldest godmother and just an incredible human being. Hey, Katie, hope you're listening because you really are awesome and you make our world better and our lives possible. Uh, Katie was saying that when she ran catering for the preeminent chef, Jose Andres, uh, when they ever did uh, catering with those rolls, they would, they would make them ahead of time, not too far ahead of time, but then wrap them in moist paper towels. Uh, to just keep that moisture there. It can't be too moist, lest the, the rice paper absorb too much and disintegrate. It can't be too little, lest they become rubbery. But also, you know, I think that they can be a little rubbery. You don't want to be too much, but you're outside. The environment sort of begs for a little bit of leeway and forgiveness on slight flaws uh, in food. I wouldn't even call them flaws, but just sort of it, this wouldn't be the optimal way to serve them inside in the kitchen when you could just make them fresh. So there's that. So I wouldn't call them flaws, but it, you know, being outside sort of begs a little bit of that leeway and forgiveness for you to do that. So just a little bit of that rubbery crust, fine, great. So long as there's something inside, you know, crisp cucumbers, nice shredded julienne carrots, uh, bok choy, you know, uh, jicama, whatever it is, something in there to to add that counterpoint to that slight rubberiness to it. Uh, is perfect. And then there's also the, hey, why don't you just make them there? Okay. Uh, you can certainly do that if you can find some fresh water to bring and, you know, just a plate to dump a bottle of water onto and there you go. And hey, that's kind of fun and people can do it themselves and it becomes kind of a make your own station. Don't complicate it unnecessarily. You probably don't want to do this at the beach. Just saying. Um, 
So there you go. Hey, good question. And that did bring me up uh, to remind me of the topic that I wanted to bring up, which is picnics at the beach are different than picnics on the grass. Anybody guess why? Duh, right? Um, you can't go anywhere. You literally can't move without tracking sand or something falling off of you into things. So when I pack for the beach, <clears throat> I pack very differently. I sort of do bowls, uh, you know, in a way. I sort of pack everything so that basically when we get there, the only thing I've got to do is hand you a fork and take the plastic off the bowl or something so that there's not a lot of moving parts. Because the more moving parts you have, just the more danger you're in of getting sand into something. And you know what? There's really no recovering from that. And yes, you can crunch your way through it and say, mmm, this is delicious. And it may be delicious. It's also crunchy, right? And it shouldn't be that way. So when packing for the beach, kind of keep things dry. Okay. So, you know, if I drop a, a crostini onto the beach, like, okay, like I, I'm good. If, if you drop a spring roll uh, onto the beach, you know, fresh wrapped with a nice sticky rice paper, there's no recovering from that. So uh, sort of think ahead in that way. All right, from CJP. Haven't seen your name popped up before. I am so happy to have you join us, friend. Nice to meet you. Many recipes include tomatoes in some form, especially in minestrone soup recipes. What can I substitute for tomatoes as some family members can't eat them? Thanks. So uh, let's talk about minestrone. Well, let's talk about tomatoes in general. What do they add? Tomatoes add sweetness. Uh, when cooked, as in a minestrone, they don't add a whole lot of bulk because uh, they mostly break down <clears throat> into the broth, right? Uh, they certainly add some color. And importantly, they add acidity, okay? And acidity might be the most important thing that, that tomatoes add to a dish uh, when, when just not served on their own as, as a, you know, sort of a principal ingredient. So in that way, you've got a minestrone, which is basically at this point, a pasta fagioli, a pasta and bean soup made with a really nice broth. And you've got some zucchini in there. You've got some yellow squash in there. You've got, you know, all the wonderful fresh seasonal vegetables of the year. Uh, great. How can you add that acidity in? Well, a shot of vinegar is a really great way to do that. Uh, lemon juice, depending on what dish you're talking about. But to me, a, a glug of red wine vinegar is a really, just a really great way to finish, well, just about anything. You're sauteing zucchini and garlic and olive oil on the stove. And just as it begins to release its moisture into the pan, you, you hit it with this glug of, oil, glug of, uh, of vinegar and start tossing it and tossing it and tossing it. And those juices from the zucchini come out and mix with the vinegar and the oil and emulsify into a sauce. And you end up with a still perfectly al dente, but seasoned throughout zucchini that just tastes better than any zucchini because it has so much zucchini flavor. I just can't believe it. What's your secret? Acidity, right? You're not making a vinegar dish. You're making a zucchini dish that tastes more like zucchini via the vinegar. So your minestrone soup, uh, add in some carrots for sweetness. Uh, you, you know, I think of minestrone as quick cook soups and you don't want to necessarily simmer down carrots with the other ingredients to the point where the carrots cook all the way. Great, get a box grater, carrot, grate them down. There you go, they're gonna cook right quick. They're gonna add all of that bright color that the tomatoes uh, would have added. They add incredible amount of sweetness and then the vinegar takes the place of that acidity. So there you go, specifically to the minestrone recipes that you, you asked after uh, that. And again, just sort of talking to what are the culinary points of interest for tomatoes and I, I covered that. So thanks CJ, appreciate you. Hey, Char Nolan. Is that Char Nolan or is that just Char N? I don't know. Looking for an eco-friendly cooler that will keep foods chilled without killing the environment. Thank you. Well, Char, I am so happy to see you on this and uh, welcome if you are not our beloved Char Nolan instructor here, but uh, happy to have you. Uh, my local library uh, has coolers that you can check out. What? Yes, igloo coolers. They, they have them that you can check out in their library of things. 
which is an awesome new uh, sort of practice that I've seen a couple of libraries uh, picking up, which is, is really wonderful because I have this very expensive, very large cooler that I bought to sort of meet all needs I might possibly have ever time for the future evermore. Right. It's an angle cooler. It costs a couple hundred bucks. Is it awesome? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll keep ice frozen for three days. It's amazing. It's like a Yeti cooler. It's kind of like an off-brand Yeti. Uh, is it worth the money I paid for it? No, because I will never use it that many times. So to me, what makes an environmentally friendly cooler is, well, something you don't throw away, right? Another thing about keeping things cold is, well, do you actually need to keep them cold? Sure. Uh, plan some dishes that are really great at room temperature. Uh, all of the dishes that I've been talking about here today are going to be really actually, in fact, much better at room temperature, if not slightly above it. So think about uh, when planning a picnic, do I actually need to keep things cold? And can I revise my menu a little bit to best uh, sort of enable me to, to not have them cold. Another thing you can do is if you do want to keep some things cold, guess what this is? It's a watermelon that I've had in my fridge. Guess how long this is going to stay cold in your cooler well, for, for a very long time, for a very long time, especially if it's you know still in its most dense form, meaning uncut. You bring a couple of spoons and, well, you know, uh, so long as you, you share space with with the people around you just yeah hey eat it right out of there just scooping melon balls out there you go right but here's your cooler that's going to keep anything cold even in a double lined you know 10 cent plastic shopping bag these days that's going to give you uh, some of that so layer effect you know cold sinks so if you if you're not going to crush all of your food maybe put this you know you, stuff you really need to keep cold, put it down here. So let the cool air flow down to it. Things that you don't necessarily need to keep cold, just use thermodynamics. I mean, this is, this is you know, physics here. Uh, heat rise, cold sinks, use that to your advantage, etc. So I'm trying to think of the most environmentally friendly ways I, I can. So A, one is borrowing stuff. Yeah, let's not make two of something in the world if we really only need one and we can pass it around the whole neighborhood, right? There you go. Uh, the other is kind of thinking about your meal. Do you need to keep things cold? And then the other thing is, well, build into your meal some things that will keep what needs to be cold, cold. And uh, yeah, and hey, if, you're, if your white wine or your rosé is uh, you're not going to be cold all the way throughout your picnic, hey, drink up. All right, Char, I really appreciate you. Margot D, any recommendations on food that stays well in scorching heat without a cooler? Um, so I just spoke to some of that there. Vegetable dishes, et cetera, things that don't have a whole lot of stuff to go bad in them. Uh, sorry, I gotta do that to get back to my computer screen. Uh, Things that you can eat at room temperature, things that might even improve if left in the trunk of a car on a very hot day as we're having in so much of the country today, uh, et cetera. So really it's about planning that out. Um, also not planning to have any leftovers is, is a good thing to do because then your heat doesn't really so much matter. Uh, and then again, watermelon on top of your salad like that in the bottom of a you know double lined bag or something like that. Is it gonna last in 120 degree heat index in Houston, Texas today in the trunk of a car for a whole long? No, probably not. That's an extreme situation that you might be asking after. Is it gonna work mostly? Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, if your salad's a little wilted, then it's okay. And put your, your not cold ingredients on top. All right. Those are great questions, people. Oh, Hilda P. Hi. Oh, all my, all my friends, they're all coming today. What perishables would you recommend to not bring outdoors if you're spending more than a few hours on a picnic? Seafood things, uh, raw oysters, etc. Really, this just comes down to packing uh, 
you know, don't pack too much to the point where you're then going to be wasting any leftovers. Uh, but anything really that just needs to be cold, 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 like to me, raw shellfish uh, or shellfish things of, of all sorts where you, you have a bacterial load that can grow uh, or where they're just not going to be very delicious. A 90 degree oyster is just, it's not pleasant. It's just not uh, to eat raw and half shell. So really it's about planning things out to not keep, but uh, even to me, smoked salmon, the rule in food safety is keep cold foods cold, keep hot foods hot. Uh, and so you want to keep cold foods below 40 degrees. You want to keep hot foods above 140 degrees uh, for their optimal, you know, back to, to stop spoilage uh, and bacterial growth. One kills them by being too hot and the other keeps them from going by, by suppressing them with cold. But you've got a four hour window uh, in, in professional food safety courses. At least, at least that's what it was when I was running restaurants and uh, you have a four-hour window when things can be in the temperature danger zone, uh, as it's dramatically called. Um, so you have four hours in there. Uh, again, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your family. I am not giving you legal advice here. I am not giving you professional advice. I am telling you that if this smoked salmon was sitting uh, in a cooler that and it was... 70 degrees for five hours for six hours would i eat it yes i would and i would do that with confidence six hours seven hours eight hours no things like mayonnaise based with egg things where basically you, you have problem areas that could go wrong uh keep those things cold etc uh, but still you've got that four hour window of safety especially if you've had great food safety handling practices at home and in packing it etc um there you go again i'm not asking you to play with fire uh i'm just telling you what what i am comfortable with in my and with that i'm going to put this smoked salmon away because i'm actually not going to be making those crostini for you because i want it to last there you go judith t oh my goodness literally like the greatest hits of my friend community here you're, you're all here oh man this is so good. In my terrific cookbook, Where There's Smoke. Oh, thank you for saying so. Give a recipe for fish brine along with brining times for various fish before grilling. Can you please share why I brine fish and the benefits of doing so? Thanks and happy summer. Oh, to right back at you, Judith. I hope that you and family are doing well and you got the grandkids outside. Um, so uh, the brining, brining uh, of fish, and this, this goes for pre-seasoning in general. Uh, and this is uh, true for beef. This is true for uh, some vegetables. This is true for seafood in general. But what salt can do is it desiccates by drawing moisture to it. But it also, through osmosis, uh, goes into the cellular structure of whatever you have seasoned. And by doing so, salt also strengthens the cell walls of proteins. And what that leads to is greater moisture retention, but also just generally a little bit better structural integrity. Those, those proteins just kind of stick together a little bit better. Uh, the flake of a brined piece of seafood versus an unbrined piece of seafood is, is just a little bit less delicate. That's not to say it's any, any you know, loss on the palate because all of that moisture is there. But if you're doing something on the grill, where there's a real danger of feeding the fire and not your family, especially with very delicate pieces of seafood, it makes sense to give it just a little bit of help in maintaining that integrity. If you're, if you're sauteing something on the stovetop, yeah, your piece of flounder, your cod might very well fall apart and brining or pre-seasoning can certainly help that, but also, okay, too bad. The fish fell apart. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my spatula and kind of, flake out the rest of it, and then I'm going to pour it on a plate and put the sauce over top and say, <laughs> I meant to do that. Doesn't it look great? Right? I, I, there's not a whole lot of danger on the stovetop, whereas with the fire, if the cod flakes apart and falls into the fire, there's no recovery of it, right? I mean, you've literally spent your money to burn your cod. Uh, 
So that's the point of it is really that structural integrity, but also that moisture retention. It gives you a little bit more leeway in terms of cooking times. Also the ferocity of heat on grill can be higher uh, if you're not paying attention than what you're used to maybe on the stovetop. So it gives you that little bit of leeway uh, for that moisture retention and getting the product you want out of it. All right. Okay, we've got a bunch more questions and I've got a hard out here in about 15 minutes. Are toothfish and Chilean sea bass the same? Uh, indeed, they are. Uh, Patagonian toothfish, uh, Antarctic toothfish, uh, different subspecies uh, don't have really great names. Not really marketable, huh? You, know, you don't say like, I want some toothfish, but I want some sea bass. Wow. I mean, sea bass is kind of the benchmark lexicon for what's good from the ocean, right? Sea bass. It just sounds good. It rolls off the tongue. It prints well on menus. So uh, a brilliant marketer in the late 1980s came up with Chilean sea bass as a name for as a new moniker for Chilean, uh, for Patagonian toothfish. And thus was born a new fish, right? It was just a marketing term basically that stuck. It really worked well. We almost ate them to eradication. Uh, but now there, in fact, uh, are some very sustainable, certified sustainable fisheries for these products coming out of our southern waters. There's not to say there's not some issues with some fisheries, but uh, if you're getting it from a retailer you can trust who does the legwork for you on sustainability, then it's a really great product. It's a delicious product, one that I recommend. And there you go. Yeah, they're all the same thing. Arctic toothfish, um, Chilean tooth, the Patagonian toothfish, et cetera. It's all Chilean sea bass, one and the same. All right, from Terry B. Hello, friend. I will be having a backyard evening or evening appetizer party for about 10 people. I'm at a loss to what easy, simple plant-based appetizers I can make as a beginning. I really like to show them that plant-based eating can be delicious. Go Mediterranean. You've got lots of wonderful dips and spreads that are really super easy to do and wonderful that last well. Uh, that you can do ahead of time. So you, uh, Terry, are actually having fun and not stressing and just watching people enjoy your food. So roasted red peppers, uh, orange peppers, yellow peppers, whatever, you can do them on the stovetop, you can do them in the broiler, you can do them on a grill. All of this can be done the day ahead. In fact, it even tastes better if you do so. Uh, so with that, uh, you know, peel the peppers down, cut them into nice long slivers, Take those slivers, chop up some capers. I put some anchovies in. You don't got to do that. Uh, some Calabrian chili or some uh, you know, nice Aleppo chili flake or even just crushed red pepper and maybe some ground fennel seeds in there. Mix it up, some olive oil, a splash of vinegar in there. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Serve that over Cristini. You're good to go. Baba ganoush. Uh, you've got hummus. Of course, you can just you can just buy your own, of course, or make something really fun. Uh, take some butternut squash, roast it in the oven whole. Uh, prick it a couple of times with a knife just so it doesn't explode on you. Yeah, thinking ahead right there. All the way into the core so the steam can come out. Uh, put it on a, a roasting pan, roast it until it's nice and soft all the way through. Make your hummus out of that. Tahini, olive oil, lemon juice, uh, salt. You have an absolutely delicious roasted butternut squash hummus, right? Or you could roast the whole thing in your grill uh, so that it gets nice and smoky and sexy, sultry, all the good flavors, like and stuff. Yeah, you could do that. So you know, then there's, of course, plant-based. You can, if you're, if you're doing uh, not vegan, you can do tzatziki sauce, things like that, where it's mostly, mostly, mostly uh, cucumbers. Uh, I also like to do a, uh, a nice little salad with grated zucchini. So zucchini grated on a box grater, uh, and then you can either cook it down very briefly in olive oil, or you can just season it with salt, toss it, and also with a little bit of olive oil and some lemon juice, and let that salt kind of carry the liquid out of the zucchini, put it in a colander. Uh, that olive oil with the, the um, Oleic acid is also going to help break that down a little bit and the lemon juice as well. And you want to break that down and it forms this nice, still somewhat al dente. Uh, mix that with some raisins, some olive oil, some ground up sort of pulsed walnuts in there for some nice texture. Put that on Christine. And, wow, that's really, really good. Also pretty economical, but also a great way to use up zucchini. 
because it's zucchini season. And the only time you lock your doors in man is during zucchini season. Because you will end up with a lot of zucchini in your kitchen first time you go out. All right, got a few, just a few more minutes left here. Terry, it was nice to hear from you. From TM, how many different dishes should I have for a good picnic? I tend to go overboard. Thank you. Uh, T, I tend to go overboard as well. My motto in life is um, pretty much, uh, why do anything if you can just overdo everything instead? It's both served me well and poorly. Uh, I have, but I'm a happy person, so I'm going to stick with it. And uh, ultimately, yeah. It, you like me, apparently we have to sort of untempt ourselves from going overboard. Four things is more than enough. Uh, it's enough to keep you interested, to graze, to go back to, uh, but it's not so much as to cause you stress, uh, you know, cost you out of house and home, uh, complicate things unnecessarily. Basically, as many things as you can serve on one vessel, that's fine. If it's all on crostini, fine, you're good. If it's all in a bowl, fine, you're good. Just like I was saying at the outset, sort of create a theme, uh, not necessarily a culinary theme, but just sort of a literally a physical theme to your meal. Is it going to be in a bowl? Great. Everything works in there. As I was saying, you start off with a gazpacho. Great. Then you put the salad into that because the gazpacho leftover on the bowl kind of adds a, you know, a bit of like a salad dressing to it along to the dressed salad. Then you've got a nice clean bowl and you put in whatever else that comes next, etc. As long as you have that sort of theme to guide you, but also to kind of edit you down, that's a good way to think about what you're up to. All right, from Michael S. Uh, I'm gonna move you over here just a second. Can I substitute whole eggs one-to-one -one with liquid eggs in recipes? Uh, I believe so, yeah. I don't see why not. So long as your, your general ounces are about correct, then yeah, I don't see why not. Egg whites to whole whole eggs? No, because obviously you have two different, you have much greater fat content as soon as you introduce the yolk. Uh, but there you go. Yes, it is pretty much a one-to-one -one substitute. Uh, excuse me. Okay, neighbors are yelling as though someone's in trouble which is a strange thing. Okay, they're probably yelling at the groundhog that keeps eating my farm. It's probably over at their house right now, so. Hmm. Uh, baba ganoush that you mentioned, dish in front of you that on the dark uh, table, dark brown. So baba ganoush is uh, eggplant puree. So these are eggplants that I roasted on a sheet tray. I cut them lengthwise, top to bottom, and then put them cut side down, put a whole glug of olive oil on the tray, and then roast them about 400 degrees until they were nice and soft and pokey from the top. What I'm then gonna do is just take a knife, uh, and not a knife, just a large spoon and scoop away from the skin. There's many ways to make baba ganoush. It, it sort of transcends the entire Mediterranean basin and Southeast Asia in many ways. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. My, I don't claim any authenticity to mine, but what I do is I just take a knife and I go, I put the flesh of the eggplant down on the board and I chop it once across pretty finely, and then I go once more in the other direction, just kind of banging it down, kind of like that butcher style chopping. Uh, you're not doing a very fine French cut on it. And what you end up with is a pretty chunky puree. Into that I mix lemon juice, vinegar, olive oil, and salt. And it's just absolutely delicious puree. It goes on everything, it's best used. I mean, it can be used as a sauce, it can be used just dipping into crostini. You can add tahini to it for a, a, a flavor and nutritional kick. And there's so many things you can do to it. You can add some texture to it with some, maybe some diced onions, red onions I would particularly agree with. Mint, throw that in there. It really becomes this wonderful vehicle, this puree from which you can dress it up in any which way. Um, but there you go. Baba Ganoush, B-A-B-A-G-A-N-O-U-C-H. Baba Ganoush. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of different ways to spell it, but, uh, uh, there's also the S H spelling at the end there. So there you go. All right. From Marco C, what would be the best tropical fruits for grilling? Hmm. Uh, I love grilled mangoes, uh, especially the champagne mangoes. Um, uh, my wife is texting me. Okay. Uh, sorry. Family stuff. I'm going to have to go. 
Um, I'm gonna have to go pretty soon because I don't know what this is all about, but she's texting me a whole lot. So I don't imagine. But that's about anyway. Uh, so grilled mangoes. I really love mangoes on the grill, especially the champagne mangoes. Uh, you have them. Oh, kind of looks like a like an eggplant, right? In terms of shape. So I would cut it sort of vertically along one side of the pit, vertically on the other side of the pit. So you get those nice two broad sides. Uh, I would grill those right in the skin, and then uh, you just scoop them out with a spoon. So you end up with that nice big piece is a really great way to do it. It's not a tropical fruit, but grilling fruit across the board is great. But peaches, peaches on the grill, nectarines on the grill are so good. Just slightly underripe where they're super aromatic, but not yet really soft. That's the perfect time for them. Uh, it's a really great thing to do at the end of a grilled meal when you have whatever you've grilled for your main course set and ready on the table. And then you put your peaches, your nectarines, your mangoes, whatever else onto the grill, put the top on it, turn it off, you know, or, you know, uh, close off your airflow to your fire and you're good to go. About half an hour later, you pull that off and they are perfectly cooked, soft, sensuous texture throughout. Put some ice cream on top, drizzle some balsamic over. So again, peaches, nectarines, not tropical fruit, but mango is really great for that. Pineapple, of course, is amazing on the grill, especially when basted maybe with a flavored olive oil. You got some smoked paprika and fennel seeds ground down in there, maybe a little bit of coriander. Brush that on as you go. Mm -hmm. All right, from Vanessa, getting ready to rent a patio boat for the day. So really great timing for this picnic video. Thank you. Well, Vanessa, I'm so glad it helps. I hope that you enjoy. Stay safe and stay delicious. Awesome. And from Julie P, for the salmon, for the roasted salmon recipe with tomatoes and garlic, can you suggest alternative fishes that will work well in that recipe? Yes, um, anything with some heft to it. So a nice thick piece of cod. What you want is the, the fish to cook at the same rate as does the tomatoes break down and sort of simmer together into a sauce. Right? So if you have a piece of flounder or trout very thin on top of that, you're gonna overcook your fish by the time the sauce is really ready. Anything with about a three quarter inch or greater thickness is gonna work. You also don't wanna cover completely all of your tomatoes. You want them, you want that steam to be able to ex escape a little bit. Of course, you're gonna cover up some of them. Those are not gonna cook quite at the same rate as those that are around it, etc. So, hey y'all, there you go. I'm sorry for so many delays and interruptions and drop-offs and all that today, but I appreciate so many of you joining us here today. I love all of you so very much. Food is an act of love. Feeding people is an act of kindness. And I appreciate that you are out in this world with me, feeding people, bringing that love to those that we love and that we are so fortunate to serve. I really hope you'll join us again on one of these Ruby live events. You can send us an email. Let us know if there's any top topics you'd like us to cover. And with that, I hope you have a most fabulous summer. Take care, y'all. Be well.